Thank you. And all God's people said, and forgot my water. Cannot do it without the water. A few weeks ago, we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but the way things were going to fall, I wanted to wait and come back to it, and so we have. We've come back to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verses 4 through 8 is what we've been looking at. Some of you said you like my shirt. Um, a couple of people this morning said they had trouble staying awake, so I thought I'd wear this. Uh, really, I ordered it from Amazon, and it said red. I don't think this is red. I think it's hot pink. You know, <laughs> so, but it's like, yeah, you can stay awake now. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and following. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It does not, is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Jump down to verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I'll tell you a story. My daughter, uh, the oldest one, uh, went to Switzerland recently. Uh, this is the part where I brag on my daughter. She has a PhD, and she works with doctors, and they write information so that doctors can read the information and know what the drug is about. So she went to a conference on lymphoma. On the way to the airport, she decided, after she read an article, that people are underappreciated for some of the jobs they do. And so she decided that when she got on the airplane, she was going to bring a little bag of hand sanitizers, just little, you know, dollar store hand sanitizers, legal to get through customs, <laughs> you know, big enough. And she put those in a bag, and when she met those stewardess at the front, she handed her the bag and said, look, I know a lot of people... Uh, don't say thank you and before the flight starts and everything gets going I just want to say thank you this is just a little token for you guys I know you have to shake hands and do a lot of stuff and I'm sure you use your own materials so here you go thank you in in beginning of the flight and then she went back and sat down she wasn't in first class she was just you know regular so she sat back and about part way through the flight stewards came back and said you're the one that brought the the thing right uh, oh the bag yeah yeah I brought the bag you want anything from first class? <laughs> and so they, she said, well, I don't want, you know, and so they kind of told her what she could have, and she, well, sure, that'd be great. And so they, they went back, and uh, people started coming back during the flight, and they'd lean over the person sitting next to her to my daughter and go, thank you, and, and just go back. And then they came down with the drink cart and everything, and they were getting ready to do it. And the one guy was, you know, working, and he said, do you all want, and the lady said, wait a minute, I've got her. And so they brought her a special drink, and they handed it to her. You know, they did everything in the world uh, that you could think of. And she got ready to get off the flight, and they said, wait a second. And they went into first class and got her the bag that they give people in first class with the slippers and the eye mask and all the little trinkets and stuff that they do. And they said, nobody ever says thank you. And she was just overwhelmed. Isn't it amazing what a little love can do to people? 
just a small little thing like that to say thank you and to show some appreciation and show some love. Is it a wonder that you come to this passage of Scripture when we talk about love and it is so radical in our world? When, when Paul shares these thoughts that we looked at last week, and, and I probably will do another week on this. I'm not sure I'll get through it tonight either. Uh, you, you look at these words, what love is and what love is not, so that we can give to a world who desperately needs a pat on the back and some support and some love from God. Look at uh, the idea that love is calm. When, when somebody who is able to rest in the love of God comes, they know that this all is well. And because they are able to rest in the love of God and that all is well, they can have peace. They're tranquil tranquil, peaceful, they are serene, and it is in the knowledge that God is in heaven and that he will do whatever he pleases, he is in control. And that makes me calm. Love does not get agitated, the scripture says, when it's provoked. It doesn't get upset. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't get uh, angry. It follows the proverb that says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I remember I was uh, trying to enroll in OBU one year, and, you know, uh, they didn't have everything in the same building. So, you know, finally, somewhere along the way, people figured out, if you're going to enroll people, make them do it in the same building. Everybody signs all the same thing. You're not running all over campus. But we were running all over campus that day. And so, you know, you'd have to go to this place and get a form and this place and get a form and this place and get a form and this place and get a form. Go over here and have them sign this. And, I mean, it was go to the financial office. And it was when they had dot matrix printers. And so it's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then I went to the financial thing, and the lady didn't want to print out a sheet and give me mine until she printed out a whole sheet. And so I had to wait for the next person to enroll to get my receipt. It was at that point that I kept quoting, a soft answer turns over a wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And I just, you know, finally it was, thank you. I know you guys are busy. I appreciate it. It's a difficult job. Uh, when I really did not want to do that. But that is what we need to do, isn't it? To show the love of God. It, it helps us. It, love helps a person remain confident in the face of overwhelming odds. It, it rests in the assurance of God's power, and that helps us to overcome the difficulty around us. Love overlooks other people's fault. Love meets our deepest needs, and we don't need to give in to the temptation to get frustrated. Love allows us to speak in calm tones and a voice that communicates power under control. You know, it's said of Jesus that he was the most meek person ever. Meek does not mean weak. Meek means power under control. A horse is meek when it has a bit in his mouth and you can direct it to do what it wants. A beautiful thing here in Oklahoma, we watch quarter horses and it's amazing what they can do once they're trained. Once the power is under control and it is meek, still it's powerful. But now what can it do? Love reduces the frustration because 
the one who loves has the serenity to accept what he cannot change, the courage to change things he can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I love that quote from St. Francis of Assisi. There we go. It increases our gratitude to God in everything we have because we are calm because God is in control. Love appreciates that there are problems that are terrible around us and that we can escape them through grace and peace by being calm. The world may rail around us, but I can be calm because God is in control. Love doesn't overlook faults. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't turn feelings to hurt or anger, but it fears the Lord because he is in control. Love is calm. Love is not irritable. When you, when you look at the fact that love is calm, what is it not? It's not irritable. It's not easily annoyed. It's not overly sensitive. That, to me, is sometimes the thing that, that we show better who we are in the fact that we do not get upset easily in Christ. I mean, I can have a temper. I know people who have tempers. I knew this pastor who, he was, uh, in, he was in a deacon's meeting, and, and he had a friend who he brought with him, and he said, now when you hear me start hollering and yelling, break in and keep me from getting them fight. Well, this is the pastor of the church. But he knew he was going to get angry. He knew he was going to give in to it. No, love is not irritable. It does not take offense. Love does not return evil for evil. It doesn't look for, for at interruptions as nuisances. But it looks at them as opportunities in life to do something. To take what life offers and not see it as an interruption, but maybe an opportunity to do something for somebody else outside of what I initially had planned it looks as an opportunity to serve. It doesn't let little things irritate our emotional emotions to the point that we lose balance or perspective. I can easily get upset so much that all of a sudden all I see is what's in front of me. It's like the bull and the red flag and everything. All I see is red. I'm so angry. But if love is not irritated... I won't let that happen. I won't let anger cloud my sense of judgment. I won't, I won't let anger control my reactions. Uh, it can happen when I'm tired. It can happen when I'm discouraged. It can, it can happen when I feel depressed. But love doesn't give in to that fear. It doesn't let intimidation uh, overwhelm it either. I don't let someone intimidate me. Love is not upset about the loss of personal rights. Sometimes I don't get my way, or I may feel that someone has trampled on my rights. Do I get angry? Well, in the United States, we're all about rights. Sure we are. But in Christ, we're all about somebody else's rights. What can I do to show them the love of God? What can I do for them? So love does not get upset or hostile or angry. Love doesn't try to justify my anger in everybody else's eyes. Well, I have a right to be angry. That kind of thing. Anybody would get upset. You ever heard something like that? I have, you know. But yet, that's not what God wants from us. Love doesn't get 
irritated. It's not incessantly pessimistic, and it doesn't let anger cloud the lenses of our perspective. Love is calm. Love doesn't get irritated. Love hates evil. When, when, when love hates sin and not the sinner, then I've got the right perspective, right? When I hate the sin and not the sinner, I'm loving people like I should. Love dislikes anything that happens to hurt people needlessly, and that includes sin. Uh, people may not even realize what they do. Paul said that. He says, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Sometimes we don't even know why we do what we do. And so, I, and, and maybe I shouldn't get upset with the people because they have been hurt and I don't even know why they act why they do. Love equally abhors moral, social, emotional, physical, and economic and spiritual evil. I, I, I hate all of that, but I love the sinner and I pray for them. Love recognizes that a strong love for God is the best remedy for the world. If I am at my best, it is when I am loving people, when they are unlovely. When I show the love of God, I may have told you this story years ago. I was at OVU, and they had a guy come in, and uh, he did a program, and, and he stands up and he says, I want to tell you today about the gospel of hate. And he goes through and he makes fun of OBU, he makes fun of professors, the president, Oklahoma, anything you could think of, he railed against. And, you know, you could see people white knuckle the, the, the chairs. And, the fun, and then finally he talks about the love of God and asks which of those are stronger. It was an illustration I'll never forget because he irritated me by what he was saying. And yet I could not see that at a young age at 19. I couldn't, you know, I didn't anticipate what he was doing. Maybe now I'd go, I can see what he's doing now. But back then I didn't. And we were, you could see the people upset in the crowd until he turned it toward the love of God and how God's love could be stronger. Worshiping anything else than God is idolatry. Love recognizes and rejoices in other people, not their sin, and not when they fail. Love demonstrates a confident security in the difficulties of one's life because we're focused on the fact that love is eternal. Love puts things in perspective because it hates evil and it loves good. Love hates evil, but love also does not delight in sordid sin. I think sometimes love doesn't relish in other people's downfalls or sexual indiscretions or human failings. It's really easy to point a finger at somebody on television who has been pompous when they fall, right? Well, they got what they deserved. But see, that's not my, it's not my place to feel that way. I'm not supposed to feel like that. I, I, I regret the evil, but I do not rejoice in the fact that someone got hurt. I don't become happy when an opponent suffers. Love doesn't, doesn't appreciate people's fall, but appreciates God's goodness. I, I, I look at people who I wish were not in power because of some of the things they allow to happen. But when they're caught in some indiscretion, when they lose their position, when they're voted out of office, when things happen, I don't fist bump the sky. And so you know, I can't 
if I do that, I don't recognize that there is the sin and the sinner. Love doesn't have to understand all the aspects of evil before I resist it. I don't have to look at that and, and understand why those people didn't. I just dis, dislike evil. Love doesn't delight when enemies fall. It doesn't try to mask its, its delight in, in pretending either. Some people, you, you, you kind of get the impression that it's tongue-in-cheek when they're disgusted or nauseated or indignant about the thing that happened to somebody else, and they're, oh, what a shame, when they really don't mean that. When disaster befalls a competitor or a neighbor or someone that seemed unfriendly, love isn't happy when that happens. Love rejoices with the truth, though. When you, when you look at the passage of Scripture, it, it says that love rejoices in truth, and it's, it's because of Jesus Christ, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. We're rejoicing in Jesus at that point. And love gives joy in the truth because it helps us determine the decisions that we have. When I know what the truth is, I know how to live. When I know what's true, I know what to do. Love celebrates whenever truth wins. I may, not get, I may not celebrate somebody falling down, but I certainly will celebrate when truth wins. When the vote goes the right way, when the court issues the right ruling, when, when someone turns from evil to goodness, I rejoice in the truth that they've seen the light. I rejoice in it because it, it, it widens the scope of love and truth's lens. It, it lets me see broader. I remember when they first came out with those 360 camera lens things. I was amazing. You know, you take a little bitty picture, you know, uh, I've, I've got a camera collection. And I've uh, got wind-up cameras and box cameras and extended cameras and all sorts of different Kodak cameras that came out. You remember the brownie camera with the little black box and, you know, click, you looked over, I've got two or three of those. Uh, I remember when that, that 360 came out, and instead of that little bitty picture, you had this panorama. Thank you. Um, and the vision that you could see and inspect and look at, when love finally is revealed, it helps us to do that same thing. It, it favors the honest, the, the balanced, the wisdom, the knowledge. It reflects more on the attitudes of God the Father of the law, the Son of love, the Holy Spirit of liberty. Love opens our minds to God's truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Love does not rejoice in successes that are not based on truth. Love doesn't rejoice in those things that are not true. It doesn't embrace things like tradition. Beware lest any man spoil you through what? Traditions, philosophy, things of the world, rather than things of Christ. We've never done it that way before. Tradition. Do we do those things because they're tradition? Do we do them because they're human standards? Or do we do them because they're God's standards? Love doesn't become gushy or enamored with a relationship that's not rooted in truth. What do I mean by that? Well, I've been a part of some churches that were proud to be who they were. You know, we're the biggest church, we're the oldest church, we're the friendliest church, we're the whatever church, you know, whatever they want to be. And, and it wasn't that they were based 
in the truth of God, it was more an emotional feel you got by being at that place. Is the emotion that makes me feel good by I mean, I want you to feel good when you come to church, but I want it to be based on the fact that it's the truth based in God, that we read God's word, we understand God's word, we learn by God's word, as opposed to the relationships that we have only driving us feeling good. I know I've shared with you the story that my father was approached to, to go to a First Baptist Church. We didn't live near First Baptist Church by one of his business associates because he said he'd make better relationships. That was that man's reason for going to church. It wasn't based on truth. It was based on what he could get out of that church. How strong one's feeling toward a place or a person isn't the ideal if it's not based in God I love my country, and I love my family. I love certain personality types. Um, But if I base my relationship on people because of those things, I'm not basing it on God and truth. I'm basing it on something other than what God reveals. So that means that if someone's personality grates against mine and I reject them, I'm not following God. I have to accept them as they are, for who they are, for how they are. I I believe that God is going to lead people in in our circle, in our lives, that will build us up and some will challenge us, that we can be better at who we are. Love satisfied with the truth that's found in Jesus and the word of God and nothing else. I don't care who you are or how you act. I'm going to try to love you because of the truth of God. As you look at the scripture, it says that love bears all things. Let me say that again. Love bears all things. Another way to say that is that there is no limit to the endurance of God's love. That statement is difficult to embrace without the Spirit of God in you. That that there's no limit to the endurance of God's love. There's no limit to what, what God can do in us if we love him and love other people. It perseveres under the most difficult physical and mental sufferings. I have seen it, and you have too. People who under physical devastation are able to still love life and love people around them. I remember when I was going through uh, cancer treatments back in 2000, there was a guy in there, and um, friendliest guy in the world. I mean, just absolutely friendly. You, you couldn't get by him without him trying to talk to you or talk to the nurses or talk to the other patients. And, you know, he walks in the room and it's, you know, a ray of sunshine and, and he's going through cancer treatments just like everybody else. Um, it's that person, and he was a Christian, and it was that person that, that helped other people through that experience. And you could see it, that he loved life and he loved them. And he was willing to be strong under pressure and not give in to worldly standards that said, why don't you wallow in your pain? You know, oh, you have cancer, feel sorry for yourself. He didn't do that. I never saw that in his life. Love carries personal burdens without murmuring or without complaining. Wow. 
You read the scripture and you get that, don't murmur, don't complain. That's part of the most favorite things I do. You know, it's like we're people. You know, we, we want you to feel sorry for us. We want to talk about how bad it is for us. And we can't wait for you to quit talking so we can tell it how bad it is for us. But yet, that's not what love wants, what God wants for us in love. He wants us to carry it, the burden. He wants us not only to carry our burden, he wants us to carry other people's burdens. And bear up underneath it because of love. It's willing to bear the pain of somebody else, to endure it. Love bears all things. Love does not complain about everything. Kind of hinted to that there. Love is not a, a, a squeaky wheel, if you will. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not trying to nag people to get what they want. You know people like that. They nag you and nag you till they get what they want. Love does not pester people into giving them what they want. Love is not overly sensitive in offhanded remarks. I was a member of church in Tulsa one time. I, I'm, I think I've told you this story before, but it fits here really well. Pastor was, you know, meeting in the hallway, and there was a guy who had a grumpy demeanor. He was always grumpy, and everybody, you know, made fun of that. And one day, he, he even said that, hey, grumpy, how you doing today? And his wife heard him, and that was that. And it was not good. She took offense. And from that moment on, she sought to disrupt that pastor's ability to pastor that church, and she succeeded in running him off. Because she was offended by an offhanded remark that was not meant to be evil or to tear somebody down. It was just, everybody knows the guy had a grumpy exterior. Love is not quick to take offense. It, it, it is not upset when someone finds fault with something we do. Nobody likes constructive criticism. I mean, we talk about that. It's constructive criticism. Well, we feel like it's just criticism, and you're pointing out where I'm wrong, and, and why don't you just leave me alone? Why don't you mind your own business? And yet maybe we need that constructive criticism sometimes. To speak the truth, what? In love. Sometimes we have to do that. And love does not get upset because someone does that shares the truth with us in love. Love covers, the Bible says, for another. It's willing to overlook the fault of, of other people for the sake of the relationship. M maybe the way you act is not the way that I would act, and, and I'll overlook that for, for that. Love covers, the Bible says, a multitude of sins. That's what it means. It covers the other people. It, it, what would be embarrassing, I will cover up, not to be subversive, not to let the truth out, but that maybe the way that a person is, I don't have to point out and embarrass them in public. I give them dignity. I give them their reputation. Love hates scandal and is it, doesn't want to win at all costs. I'm going to prove my point. I'm going to be right. I'm going to show you that I'm right. I'm going to defeat you to show you that I'm right. That's not what love does. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love is turned off by gossip. Matter of fact, love is actually hurt by that kind of public discourse. 
I've shared with people a couple of times here recently that, you know, about gossip. And uh, years ago, I, I, I had a little book in my office, and, and people would come in, and they want to go, I need to tell you something. Okay, we're going to gossip. <laughs> That's what this is. You know, when they look around to make sure nobody's listening, and I go, oh, oh, wait, wait a second. Is this about somebody else or you? Oh, it's about somebody else. Oh, okay, great. Just a second. Let me get my book. Your book? Yeah, my book. Because I want to write down what you tell me. I don't want to misinterpret what you say. And so I'm going to write down verbatim what you tell me about this other person so that I get it right. All of a sudden, nobody wants to be very specific about it because they're going to be pointed out to actually be the gossip. Love covers up other people's weaknesses for the sake of healing, not, not for the sake of hiding. Do you see the difference? I'm not trying to cover up what somebody has done, but I'm trying to help them to recover and to become better. I want love to take the sting out of the conflict, and I want love to take away the vengeance that I feel. Yeah, I cover a multitude of sins. Love does not, though, excuse people for habitual sin. It's, it, it's, it's one thing to, to cover a multitude of sins. It's one other thing not to, ex, to excuse people for the sins they obviously are not going to deal with. We have all met people who, who have said, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a drinker, I'm an alcoholic, and they try and then they give up and then they finally just say, I don't care anymore. And, and you know, I've had to approach people like that who had leadership roles in the church and say no we can't you can't do that or someone who had a um, experience outside of marriage and uh, devastated their marriage vows and we had to go to them and say you can't teach that Sunday school class anymore this is not right if you're not going to deal with this I've had some couples come to me and want to get married you know uh, uh, off in the future and I go well you're living together now so best way to solve that is to get married or quit living together you decide you, you, you pick because I'm not going to help you to play house. That's not godly. And I, be as ki- I am as kind as I can with that situation, but I cannot excuse habitual sin. I, I'm, I'm not humanistic. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not with what the world has to say. I will not let my friendship with someone drown my spirit-led decision. I have to follow what the Lord says to do, and sometimes it has to face sin front and center and say, this is wrong. Like Nathan, you, David, are the problem. You, David, are the one who sinned and deal with that. Love does not accept when someone does a silly evasion about a serious problem. Love is wise enough to know when when someone is telling the truth they're serious and they mean it love knows truth ultimately sets people's free sets people free from the burdens that they live and i cannot accept anything less than that if they're not willing to be serious about what they want in their life i can't help them to not be serious i have to show them they need to be serious and that i can't help them if they're not willing to be if they're not willing to give up the sin, if they're not willing to turn their back on that thing that the Bible says is wrong, 
I cannot encourage them. So if they come and they want to walk down the aisle and join the church, I will confront them with what is publicly known. If it's publicly known, I may not do it right there. I had a, we were doing a, a Hispanic church. And the, the young lady whose uh, father was the pastor, uh, as happens, got into a relationship with a young man. She became pregnant. And um, the pastor of that Hispanic church wanted me to come to their service and oversee what I would call a flogging. <laughs> they wanted her to come down the aisle and admit everything that she had done. I mean, like a litany of things that were, you know, and it was everybody knew. It wasn't like everybody didn't know. If she wanted to come down and say she was sorry and that, you know, uh, fine. But he wanted her to confess before everybody, and I refused. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, if she wants to confess her sin, fine. I'm not going to make her do that. I'm not going to help her continue in it. The best way to solve this is, is finding out whether the young man wants to marry her or not or help her in some other way. But I'm not going to be the one that beats her up in public. That's not love either. Love knows the truth that ultimately love sets people free. And that's what we needed to do with her. Not beat her up in public. Not flog her. And so we didn't. And I wouldn't. And you shouldn't either. Love directs others toward good things. When you look at this passage, love takes people to a higher level of maturity. Love gently turns people in the direction they need to go. Love keeps people on a higher plane rather than the lowest common denominator love keeps groups from coming apart due to conflicts and differences of opinion love is able to help people collectively reach a greater good for everyone that is why we work together that's what love does it works together it directs people toward good things and it doesn't point out where we're all wrong it can be too easy to do that Love does not let individualism forget our responsibility to the group, though. I, I, I'm, I'm going to help the group to go to a higher plane, but I'm not going to let my individualism forget my responsibility. I'm not going to let someone splinter what we have. I will confront that. I will show my concern. For people, I, I mean, I, I have concern for the needy. I have concern for those who cannot help themselves, for the hurting. Love is not cold and uncaring, uh, but God is the judge and the one who brings justice, not me. What I try to do is knit the body back together. That's what love does. I'm going to put a marker in it because I've gone my 30 minutes you know, I preach 27 to 30 minutes all the time. That's about how much we can pay attention, I've, I've found. And I start to see that it's different. So we're, we've got some more to look at the third and the last part when we talk about this passage of Scripture. When A.T. Robertson was looking at this passage of Scripture, um, he came to the conclusion that Christ greater level we cannot think he said of ourselves any better than anyone else any other Christ must be our standard in all things 
I heard a story about a little boy who, you know, it, did you ever grow up, uh, when we grew up, they marked the, the side of the door frame when you grew, right? You know, put the uh, thing there and you'd mark it and you mark it and you mark it and mark it. Well, there was this one mother who didn't want to mark the door frame up and so she taped up one of those little uh, uh, thumbnail things for child growth, you know. So you have to measure it from the bottom of the floor to make sure it's the right height. And so she had done that, but over a period of, you know, a few months to a year, it's, it, the tape let go and it fell. And the little brother saw it and he stuck it back up. Of course, when he stuck it back up, he couldn't get as high as it was, and so it was lower. And then he stood up and he said, I'm four feet tall, you know. No, 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 he's not four feet tall. I can't judge myself by myself or how I want to mark myself. It needs to be a standard, and the standard for us is the love of God. And without that, we cannot be Christ-like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this moment, and thank you for this passage of Scripture that, that directs us. It is so much wrapped up in these few words about what love is and what love is not. All the different words that drive us to understand how we should live, how we should treat one another, how we should see life. It's, it's overwhelming, but the greatest of these is love is such a simple phrase. All that happens, all that will pass away, all the gifts that will not last, it's love that lasts, love that is eternal. Help us this week to see that and in the next week when we look at this again in the evening to remind ourselves that of all the things that will last, love is the greatest. May we love one another this week and may we love someone who is unlovely that we might bring them to Christ. We pray in your holy name, amen. God bless you.